over the last few weeks, we have talked about trials and suffering. And one of the things that we wanted to do in the midst of this discussion was to remind ourselves that even though the, the things that we go through are important to us, even though the things that we encounter are difficult and there are real hurts and real heartaches, that there are literally millions of Christians, believers across this globe right now, who are endangered because of just worshiping Jesus Christ. That they are risking their lives to worship with fellow believers even as we speak. And we wanted to make sure that in the midst of this discussion about suffering and persecution and those kind of things, that we not say that ours is insignificant, but remind ourselves that there are people who literally right now are imprisoned, are being beaten, are being threatened. And this week there will be those that are killed because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Would you pray with me for just a moment? And in this time, I want us to pray for those all across this globe who are part of what they call the persecuted church. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you today not knowing what it would be like to face the horrors that we have just witnessed on this screen. To face the horrors of knowing that we might be arrested or beaten or killed because of our faith in you. And so, Lord, we come today praying for the persecuted church wherever they may be right now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for not praying for them enough. Forgive us, Lord, for not being reminded of them enough. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't remember the freedom that we have. Lord, I pray right now for those that are in danger for their lives or their livelihood because of you. Lord, not that you would necessarily remove them from situations, but Lord, that you would give them the strength to stand firm no matter what is happening in their lives. And Lord, we pray that we would be willing to do whatever is asked of us to proclaim your name and to spread your gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, we're going to be looking primarily at 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, today. Um, the video that you just saw was just a snippet, a, a, a portion of people that, the stories of persecuted Christians throughout the ages. Uh, I would encourage you to do some research on it just to inform your prayer life. Um, there are websites out there. You can put in Google Voice of the Martyrs. And the Voice of the Martyrs is a great website. They have a magazine that they do. You could uh, do that. Uh, there's a book that, um, of all people, DC Talk helped put out a few years ago called Jesus Freaks that kind of is an updated version of an old book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, some of those kind of things. I would just encourage you to do that. One of the things I like about Voice of the Martyrs and their website is they give you uh, weekly or every couple of weeks, sometimes daily updates about uh, believers that are being persecuted across the world. And you can pray specifically for them. And so I would just encourage you to be a part of that. Like I said, I don't want to downplay in any way what we're talking about here. But I do think every once in a while it's good to step back and get a little perspective. A little perspective about what suffering can eventually lead to. What difficulty could eventually be as we talk about, okay, how do we make it through? Because the reality is each one of those people that were 
uh, in that video, the descriptions there, all of them stood firm to the end. One of the most amazing things about the believers, the apostles of Jesus Christ, is that all of them, except for Judas who um, hung himself after he had betrayed Jesus, and for the apostle John, were martyred for their faith. All of the apostles except for those two. Now, John was exiled for years on Patmos on an island, a prison island for his faith. And so they all suffered. And here's the amazing thing. At their death, not a single one of them ever recanted. They stood firm to the end. Um, Psychologists have told us, I don't know, I don't see the studies, but I've seen the reports, that they have somehow shown that people will not die for something they know to be a lie. And so when you have the account of ten apostles dying for their faith, then you can be pretty sure that they knew it was true. Polycarp, who was mentioned, is one of my absolute favorite stories in the early church. Uh, Polycarp was brought into a coliseum-like thing, and they had a huge crowd there, and the proconsul or the governor, the Roman authority, told him, just recant. And uh, the, the quote kind of came back quickly, but he basically says, in my over 80 years, Jesus has never failed me yet. Why would I fail him now? And they say, well, listen, if you don't recant, we're going to bring out the wild beast. And he says, go ahead, bring them out. They're not going to do anything to me because of what Jesus has done. Then they say, well, if you don't do that, we're going to burn you at the stake. And he says, this was the phrase, he says, you threaten which burn, with a fire that burns for a moment. But the other fire is eternal and lasting. And the final time comes and he basically says, bring it on because I will not recant for my faith in Jesus. Now, what kind of faith does it take in the midst of your very life being threatened, to stand firm and declare who Jesus is to you. It takes a solid faith. It takes a real faith. It takes not a fly-by-night kind of faith. It takes something that will endure. This morning, what we're going to talk about is out of 1 Peter 4, what do you do as a believer in Jesus Christ when difficult times come to stand firm? Now, just to remind ourselves, um, these are a couple of definitions that we've used about what trials are over the last couple of weeks. And the first one is this. Trials are those unanticipated events, most of which one would have usually chosen to have avoided in the first place. And so that's what a trial is. It's unexpected. We would have tried to avoid it in the first place. And then James McDonald adds to that, it is a painful circumstance allowed by God to change my conduct and my character. And so the question that I want to ask today really is this. Well, then how do we get ready for it? How do we make it through? How do we stand firm in the midst of whatever trial may be happening or going to happen in your life? And 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to focus primarily on the last few verses, gives us some information. Now, you have to understand to whom Peter is writing. If you'll turn back with me, put your finger at four, turn back a page or maybe two in your Bible to 1 Peter 1. And it says there that Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, strangers in the world, 
scattered throughout. Now, to understand, what he's saying is, basically, this is a letter written to believers who have been scattered. Now, why were they scattered? Well, the book of uh, Acts, again, tells us they were scattered because of persecution. So this book is written to people that have lost their homes, that have lost their livelihoods, that have been placed in unfamiliar territory, that are now living in places that are not their home. They've been moved. They've been exiled. They've been taken out of their homes and moved away, all because of persecution. He says this in verse 2, that they have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. And here's what that means for a couple of reasons. One is he wants them to realize that they are exactly where God intends for them to be. The, the idea here of, of the foreknowledge of God and the predestination of God, what is behind it is that God has chosen them. They are part of God's uh, people, that they have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then what has happened is God has led them exactly where they ought to be. Now, remember, they are in places that are in danger of their lives, without good jobs, their family's been scattered, and they're not at home. And so for them, they're not really excited about being where God has put them. But what he says is, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Now, let me just tell you this. I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. One of the biggest lies that the American church has told is that old lie that says, the safest place in the world is in the center of God's will. That is absolutely not true. In fact, if you look in Scripture, sometimes the most dangerous physically the most dangerous place you can be is in the center of God's will. See, we have established for ourselves this idea that comfort is what God has promised. Well, Scripture makes it very clear. God is much more concerned about your character than your comfort. And so there are times when you may be placed in difficult situations, and it's in the center of God's will, and it's in those moments that you have to figure out how to make it through. Turn back to chapter 4. Peter says this to those believers. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Three things that I want us to see this morning about how we stand firm in the midst of a trial. And the first thing is this. You must begin to prepare your mind. You must prepare your mind for coming trials. Now, there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 is where we started. But I want you to look back at verse 1. Because there's an important line here that tells us how we are not to be surprised. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in His body, arm yourselves also with the same 
attitude. Now, what he's saying there is we must prepare our minds for the fact that suffering is a reality in the world in which we live. So that when suffering or trials or difficulty comes, we're not caught off guard. We're ready. In fact, the term used there for arm yourselves is literally a military term referring to military strategy. That we ought to figure out how to train our minds like a military trains people to think through difficult situations when they arise. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, was watching a show on the Discovery Channel. Uh, it's called Surviving the Cut. I don't know if anybody's seen it. It's just been on a couple of weeks. But this particular week, it was about what it takes to become an Army Ranger. Um, and I determined very quickly, I have no desire to be an Army Ranger. All right? My level of appreciation for who they are rose greatly. The first thing they do is they try to get rid of half of the class in three days. They do hand-to-hand wrestling combat for five or six hours and then run in between times of the wrestling. And then they go on an all-night hike and all of this. And they were talking about it. And the guy said, well, why do you do this? He said two things. One is we want to see who really wants to be here. He said the second thing is if you can train a soldier's mind, his body will follow. And he just points to the fact that our minds make a huge impact. A recent movie had this quote in it that said, The most resilient parasite is an idea planted in the subconscious mind. The most resilient parasite is an idea planted in the subconscious mind. Now, let me just tell you, nothing proves that point anymore than when you get a song stuck in your head. Amen? How many of you ever get a song stuck in your head and it just goes over and over? Here's the problem of being with children, okay, that having children. My songs are sometimes commercials. There's a commercial on TV right now for a product called Zoopals. Anybody seen that? Okay. And that song is in my head. I will be studying for a sermon looking at the Greek origin of a word in First Peter, and all I can hear in my head is the Zoo Pals jingle. It just sticks there, right? And so we know that our minds, when things get locked in there, they become powerful in our lives. They can take over things. Well, what Scripture teaches over and over again, that we must be aware of that, and we must continually train our minds to respond in a proper way when difficulty comes. Now, how do we do that? Well, are you talking about some kind of strange phenomenon? How do we train our mantras, chants? No. You study God's Word and you live out God's truth. And as you study God's Word and you live out God's truth, your mind will be renewed. In fact, Romans 12 says that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and that we are to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. And so the point here is we've got to prepare our mind. Well, how do you prepare your mind? Two things. First of all, you expect suffering. You expect it. You don't have to turn back there, but back in First um, Peter 1, the NIV translates that word strangers, that we are strangers here. The reality is that's not the best interpretation of that word. 
Because strangers for us gives the idea that maybe just somebody we don't know. The reality is the word that is better translated there is aliens. All right? And really what it's saying is that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are aliens. Now, I don't mean you're going to turn green and grow antennas, but it means that we are no longer a part of this broken world. That our home is somewhere else. Amen? So I want you to do something with me. I want you to say something back to me. I'm going to say, uh, I want you to say back to me that I am an alien. All right? You got that? So I'm going to count to three. You're going to say it back. One, two, three. I am an alien. That means that this world is not your home. This is not the place. That means don't get comfortable here. And the problem is, as American Christians, we have gotten way too comfortable here. When you get to heaven, when you get on the other side, when the roll is called up yonder, whatever you want to say, it is not going to be like it is here. It won't be like this. And so don't get too comfortable here. Now, that goes in a lot of directions. The clothes won't be the same. The food won't be the same. As hard as it is for me to admit, I don't think they're going to have Tennessee volunteer football in heaven. I may not care that they have it this fall if they play as badly as they're supposed to. Right? I mean, it's not my, all the things that are, are my comforts are, are not going to be there. And so I don't need to get too comfortable here. Now, one of the reasons we need to expect suffering is because this is not our home. We're just passing through. Another reason is um, I like to think of it this way, and then we're going to take it a little farther. Not only are we aliens, the Bible says that there is a prince of the air, right? That there is a ruler of the air. Who is that? Satan. That God has given him some reign. Now, the Scripture makes it very clear that, as one of my professors said, Satan is like a dog on a leash. That God still holds the leash and controls, but he allows some freedom. So to Satan, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we have become almost like an infectious disease. Okay? I'm not going to have you say I'm an infectious disease, but you've become like that. I want you to follow me on this. Because to Satan and his kingdom, we are now trying to contaminate others with the gospel of Jesus Christ and spread the illness throughout this place. Right? And so, if there is an infectious disease in your body, what happens? Your body does what? He fights it. Now, sometimes you go to the doctor and they give you medicine to help, but your body, I mean, fever and junk running out of your nose and all of that is your body's attempt to get rid of the infectious disease. So, if we are an infectious disease on this planet to the kingdom that is here, then they're going to try everything they can to get rid of us. So we should expect suffering in our lives. And here's the second thing. Not only do you expect suffering, you then connect suffering. What do I mean by that? It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful suffering you were happening. As though you think it's strange. Rejoice instead that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. What he says here is, one way to make it through suffering is to realize that what you're going through is not different than what has happened throughout history. Or more specifically, it is not different than the fact that your Savior suffered for you. 
In the book of Hebrews, it says that we have a high priest in Jesus who knows what it means to suffer, who knows what it means to have bad times, who knows what it means to have friends betray him, who knows what it means to have people turn on him, who knows what it means to get beaten, who knows what it means to feel terrible, who knows what it means to die. And because of that, we can connect what is happening in our lives to him and set our mind on things above. Now, what flows right out of that is not only preparing our minds, but it's rejecting bitterness. Now, look what happens here. Verse 13. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised. You're suffering as though something strange. Verse 13. Rejoice that you get to participate in the sufferings of Jesus so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. One of the things that has to happen in our lives if we're going to truly live for Christ is that when it comes time and we're going through difficult moments, we must reject bitterness with everything that is within us. And it goes back to our attitude and our mind. How many of you here, you know, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are dog people and there are cat people. All right? Uh, some of you, I told you about my allergy testing. Some of you can be concerned about my allergies. I am allergic to dogs and cats along other things. All right? So i just deal with that. How many of you are dog people? Let me see your hands. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you are cat people? Let me see your hands. We're going to have you stand and now have a special prayer time over you this morning. All right? I am a dog person. I love dogs. Now, uh, we, told when, uh, we told my boys that I was allergic to dogs and cats. Luke, you know, Luke doesn't really understand the term allergic. And he told me later, he said, Daddy, you don't have to be allergic to Misty. She is really nice. I, don't, I like her. I just am allergic to her, all right? So I, I like dogs. Part of the reason I like dogs is because of their attitude, all right? I found this uh, while I was in Brazil. I was reading a book by John Ortberg called The Me I Want to Be. And he wrote excerpts from a dog's diary as compared to a cat's diary, all right? Here's the dog's diary. 8 a.m., breakfast. My favorite thing. 9.30, a car ride with the family. My favorite thing. 9.40, a walk in the park. My favorite thing. 10.30, got rubbed on my belly. My favorite thing. Noon, lunch. You know, right? My favorite thing. 1 o'clock, played in the yard. My favorite thing. 3 o'clock, wag my tail. My favorite thing. 5 o'clock, milk bones. My favorite thing. 7 o'clock, got to play ball. My favorite thing. 8 o'clock, wow, watch TV with people. My favorite thing. 11 o'clock, sleeping on my bed. My favorite thing. All right? Here's the cat's diary. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. Right? Proves that dogs are of God, right? I'm not sure about cats. But the point is there, I've met people that could have the exact same day, two different people, and one of them would look like the dogs, and one of them would look like the cats. Right? There may have been two days in your life. Two days in your life that are very similar, but because of your attitude on that day, your diary would look that different. It's amazing what our mindset can determine. So here's the question. Well, how do we 
prevent ourselves from bitterness? Well, the answer to that is actually found in the verses before verse 12. So look up at verse 7 and three things there. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded, self-controlled, so that you can pray. The first thing that you must do if you're going to endure trials, if you're going to remain positive, if you're going to reject bitterness, is you must pray. Now, they say in real estate, the most important three factors in real estate are location, 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 right? Well, let me tell you, in making it through difficult trials in your life, the three most important factors are prayer, prayer, and prayer. It is a must. It must be a part of what you do. You must pray expectantly. You must pray earnestly. You must pray eagerly. You must give everything you are to the Lord and lay it at His feet. You must complain about what you think you need to complain about. You must lay at His feet what you're excited about, what you're frustrated with, what's terrible about it. You must talk to Him about the pain you're experiencing, the difficulty that's going on. You must lay it completely at the Savior's feet and say, Here it is. I'm praying about it, praying about it, praying about it, and let the Lord direct you in the midst of it. Once you get through praying, the next thing is you need to serve other people. Look what it says there in verse 8. After it says you can pray, verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality without grumbling. I read an article recently that said that in America... And in the Western economic world, whatever that means, we now have nicer houses than we've ever had. And we keep them cleaner than we have ever kept houses in the history of the world. And we practice less hospitality than ever because we're worried about what people will think if they come to our messy houses. Now, just think about that for a minute. They're nicer houses than we've ever had. They're cleaner than they've ever been. And we're concerned because we're afraid people are not going to like them. Let me just tell you a secret. This is a secret that I know nobody really wants to get out there. People live in their houses. All right? Dishes get dirty. Socks get thrown on the floor. Here's a revelation for you. At my house, my boys, and now my girl, plays with toys. And they don't always put them back where they're supposed to go. Now, what does all that have to do with anything? Here's the reality. The reason we're not hospitable has nothing to do with our houses. It's because we've become a society that has disconnected ourselves from each other. You know, in biblical times, it was a law that if a stranger walked by your tent and needed a place to stay, you had to give them at least two nights lodging. Now, can you imagine that in our neighborhoods? Somebody knocks on your door, and instead of, actually, instead of acting like you're not even there, you actually open the door and say, Oh, well, you got a place to stay? i got an extra bed, or if not, I'll just sleep on the floor a couple of days. I don't know who you are. That's all right. The biblical idea of hospitality is that we welcome people with open arms, and we love each other completely. One of the easiest things to do in times of trial and difficulty is to fold in on yourself and not look to others to help them or to them to help you. And when you fold in on yourself, bitterness is not far behind. 
nobody cares about me, nobody thinks about me, nobody wants to help me, it's because you aren't making yourself available to other people. The way you do that is you serve other people. You love them deeply. You offer hospitality without complaining. Here's the last thing. Use your gifts. The way that you remain from getting bitter is you use what God has given you to do. Now, I know that none of this has been anything about sulking or crying or grieving, and there are parts of that process. The important thing about living your life through difficult trials is to make sure you stay focused on God's agenda. So you pray about what God would have you to do. You serve other people in the Lord's name, and you do the work that God has called you to do. You remain faithful in the midst of whatever is happening in your life. You keep on going. You keep moving. What is God giving you to do? What has God allowed you to do? What gifts has God placed in your life? What talents, what abilities, what ministries, what purpose? What has God given you to do? When you're in difficult times or regular times, your life ought to be focused on your mission for God. I uh, put this on my Facebook yesterday and Twitter account. But I I was um, excited to hear the words of my favorite baseball player yesterday. My favorite baseball player is Albert Pujols. He plays for the St. Louis Cardinals. I'm a big Cardinals fan. And when I find myself sometimes get frustrated that Albert Pujols isn't doing his job. Now, Albert Pujols, for those of you who don't know, will go down as one of the top five to ten baseball players in history when he's done. He has numbers that nobody has had since guys like Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig. So it's, he does his job more than anybody else. But yesterday he was given an award at something, an event in Washington, D.C. And as he stood up to accept that award, he stood before the people and he said, thank you for this award. And he said, I just want you to know, I consider my job to be telling people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am thankful that God has given me the ability to play baseball, to be a platform to tell others about Jesus. At the end, he said, my goal is for the rest of my life life to represent Jesus Christ. Now, what I loved about that is that Albert Pujols, the greatest baseball player on the planet, does not think that baseball is his job. His job is serving the Lord. What's yours? What's your job? Now, we could all say the same statement. It's to proclaim Jesus Christ. But how has he called you to do that? I'm not asking what pays your monthly bills. I'm not asking what is written at the top of your paycheck. I'm asking, what is your mission, your purpose, your goal in life? Because in difficult days, that is what sustains you to the end. Which leads us to the third thing. After you prepare your mind and you refuse to be bitter, you just simply glorify God. Verse 13 says it again. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. I want to tell you what I think that verse teaches in a small way. That our ability to enjoy the great and wonderful, glorious nature of God will in some way be dependent on our ability to enjoy it today. 
Let's say that again. Our ability to enjoy the greatness and the glory of God in the future, in eternity, is somewhat dependent on our ability to do it today. And what Peter says, now I don't know if you remember in the video or not, but Peter died a pretty horrific death. He was, you might remember how he was martyred, was crucified, upside down. This is a man that knew that, I don't think Peter had any illusions that his life would end in service of the gospel. And here he is saying that when I get to suffer, and when they, he didn't, the, the tradition of the church is that they didn't say, Peter, you're going to be hung upside down. They said, Peter, you're going to be crucified. And he said, I cannot be crucified in the same manner as my Lord. Crucify me upside down. He knew that his life, whether living or dying, was about glorifying God. One of the first sermons I preached when I came to Goodlettsville, I told the story of a guy named Watchman Nee, and I'm not going to tell the full story. But I just love the picture at the end of that. Watchman Nee was a guy that was in prison for his faith, had charges read on him that were took months to read, and when they got done, he said, you don't have everything down. You missed some stuff. Put him in jail. In jail, he started writing and getting the guards to take it out. When they figured out what they were doing, they started changing guards every day. Every day, Watchman Nee would write enough stuff to send out with the guard, convert the guard to Christianity, and the guard wouldn't show up for work the next day. Well, they determined that they had to stop this, so they brought Watchman Nee out into the middle of the courtyard. They laid his arms on a stump, and they chopped off both of his arms so he couldn't write. The story is told that Watchman Nee, as soon as his arms were chopped off, climbed up onto the stump, raised what were now his nubs, still bleeding into the air, and said, I am thankful that Jesus has saw me worthy enough to suffer for him. And then he said, Praise be to God. Now, I don't know what you're going through. And I know that for some of you, there are tough moments in your life right now. But nothing is too tough for a believer in Jesus Christ to glorify God. Let me just tell you, some of my deepest moments of worship have come in my deepest times of need. And it is those moments that I am so thankful for a God who suffered for me so that I can realize that these trials and temptations are but a small amount of what my life will be. They are but a blip on the radar screen of an eternity of glory with Him. And it reminds me that in these days I need to stand firm for Him no matter what may come.